Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen Center for Media Evangelization in Ewing, New Jersey, welcome to Come to Me with Jim Manfredonia. Stay tuned for an hour of talk, reflections, and meditations on topics that are important to today's Catholics. And now, here's your host, Jim Manfredonia. Very, very good day to my friends. Welcome once again to Come to Me. My name is Jim Manfredonia. As always, it is a great joy to be here with you, as the Lord allows us this time every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 4 p.m. when I come to you live, and then we repeat the program uh, 10 o'clock uh, each of those nights. And I'm uh, hoping you stay with us today, because again, we're going to, uh, a little bit different uh, format uh, this week, as uh, yesterday, of course, we had the bishop with us, and today... Uh, in just a little bit, I'm going to be um, joined by uh, Dr. Barbara Golder. Uh, she is both a doctor and a lawyer and uh, has a certificate in uh, bioethics, and she's a member of the Catholic Medical Association. And I've invited Dr. Golder to join me, and as I said, she'll be coming uh, on a little a few minutes. We're going to do our prayers and everything. Um, I've asked her to join me just to kind of go over where we are uh, with this current situation with the coronavirus. You know, there's so much information out there that we're getting from so many different sources. And uh, as I mentioned, Dr. Golder is a member of the uh, Catholic Medical Association, and um, she does. she's both a physician and a lawyer and has a certificate in bioethics. Uh, so anyway, we want to get her take. And uh, if you have any questions, uh, I can't promise that we'll get to all of them, but if you would like to text me questions that you have for Dr. Golder, again, she's a medical doctor, uh, on the current situation, we'll kind of go over some things initially. And then if you have any questions, you can always text me here. And the number to text is 609-493-8255. That's 609-493-8255. And I'll get the texts here in the studio. And uh, if I say, probably can't get to all of them, but if, if we'll do the best we can doctor will be with me for the uh, entire program. So um, I just think it's important, you know, as I said, there's so much information out there and, and information changes, it seems, by the minute, you know, what are the facts? What are the myths? What is true? What is a rumor? You know, there's a lot of things going out there on the internet. People are on social media all the time and you see and read and hear so many different takes on this and so many different spins. So Dr. Barbara Golder will be joining me in just a little bit. Again, if you have any questions for the doctor, you can text me your questions, 609-493-8255. That's 609-493-8255. We're going to start with our prayer, my friends. And then, before Dr. Golder joins us, uh, a very special message from Bishop O'Connell that he sent to me this morning that we're going to put on for you, an audio message here. I'm not sure if you're aware, uh, probably most of you are, but just in case you're not, Yesterday, uh, the governor of New Jersey, uh, Governor Phil Murphy, um, decreed that there are to be no elective surgeries in the state for the remainder of this crisis. No elective surgeries. But he made one exception, and the exception was that uh, the termination of pregnancies will still be allowed. Now, we wonder why there's a plague. I mean, um, 
anyway, so Bishop sent me a, a message that he wants to give to you, uh, the people, uh, about this situation. And as I said, uh, Governor Murphy, uh, you know, should, should be ashamed of himself, uh, especially as someone who considers himself to be a Catholic, uh, de- declaring that uh, there will be no elective surgeries allowed in the state of New Jersey for the remainder of the crisis, except for the termination of pregnancies. Horrible. Horrible. So Bishop O'Connell will uh, I'll play his message for you, too, after our prayer. Let's, let's come together now, my friends. Um, and again, if you are listening live at uh, 4.04 on this March 24th, um, we are coming to you live also uh, on all of our audio platforms. And, you know, I know there's been an issue with our audio stream. Uh, it, it appears that the issue is with the Google Chrome um, web browser, Firefox, web browser uh, that is not allowing our audio to come through. So anyway, we're making some changes. Uh, I wasn't aware of that until over the weekend, and uh, we're making some changes and correcting that situation. That should all be corrected uh, by mid to the end of this week so that that audio uh, issue is is resolved. Well, coming to you live also on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash domesticchurchmedia. That's youtube.com slash domesticchurchmedia. On our Facebook page, facebook.com slash domesticchurchmedia. And also streaming live video on our homepage at domesticchurchmedia.org. If you have an Amazon uh, Alexa or Google Home speaker device, just say play Domestic Church Media. We'll stream there as well. And, of course, our free Domestic Church Media mobile app and uh, the audio and both video are there as well. I've been praying this prayer uh, composed by Holy Father, and uh, it is a prayer uh, for the situation we find ourselves in. And speaking of the Holy Father, my friends, again, remember, tomorrow morning at 7 a.m., tomorrow morning at 7 a.m., our time here on the East Coast, we're going to unite ourselves with the Holy Father and Christians around the world. He has asked not just Catholics, but Christians of all traditions to pray the prayer the Lord gave us, the Lord's Prayer. And he will be praying it at noon in Rome. Of course, that'll be 7 o'clock a.m. here. Uh, So we'll make sure we have the Our Father prayed and to spread the word about that. It doesn't take long, not much, but imagine all these prayers being raised at the same time from this earth to the throne of the Heavenly Father. Uh, Holy Father Pope Francis has called us to that. And then also on Friday, he is making a holy hour uh, with some scripture reading and things and a special Urbi et Orbi prayer uh, to the uh, that um, normally is reserved for Easter and Christmas. He... Um, is going to pray this blessing, and with that blessing will come uh, a plenary indulgence as long as the other norms are met and uh, for, for plenary indulgence. So uh, I believe now, I have to double-check, because I got word from the network yesterday from EWTN that that's going to be at 3.30 p.m. our time. That's 8.30 p.m. Rome time. Uh, initially, I thought I saw it was going to be at 1 p.m. our time. But anyway, well, I'll keep you posted on that. Uh, the information I received from EWTN was that it's going to be broadcast live at 3.30 p.m. our time. So we'll keep you posted on that. Let's begin now, my friends, and join in prayer, praying especially for uh, this situation we find ourselves in, for all of your special intentions. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Mary, you shine continuously on our journey as a sign of salvation and hope. We entrust ourselves to you, health of the sick. At the foot of the cross, you participated in Jesus' pain with steadfast faith. You, salvation of the people, know what we need. 
we are certain that you will provide so that, as you did at Cana of Galilee, joy and feasting might return after this moment of trial. Help us, Mother of Divine Love, to conform ourselves to the Father's will and to do what Jesus tells us. He who took our sufferings upon himself and bore our sorrows to bring us through the cross to the joy of the resurrection, we seek refuge under your protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our pleas, we who are put to the test, and deliver us from every danger, O glorious and blessed Virgin. And we ask all things in Jesus' name. Amen. And as Holy Father asked us to do uh, about a year and a half ago, to pray to St. Michael the Archangel and also pray to our Blessed Mother with this beautiful ancient Subtum Presidium prayer to Our Lady with the intention of protecting the Church from the attacks of the devil. And so we pray, St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. We fly to thy protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our petitions and our necessities, but deliver us always from all dangers, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. And we pray, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, we love you. Pray for us. Venerable Archbishop Sheen, pray for us. Saint Pope John Paul II, pray for us. Our Lady of Good Remedy, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. And friends, again, I always encourage you uh, to send in your prayer requests. Uh, this coming Monday, now I know it's... Um, it is the uh, it's going to be the third Monday, right, in this month, and um, I, I haven't spoken with Bruce. He was here uh, the first Monday, and you know you, you can see the studio. We we sit six feet apart, <laughs> so we abide by those uh, rules. But um, anyway, we'll uh, we'll keep you posted on that. But do keep those prayer intentions coming in because we we uh, always pray for you. And um, uh, you know Cheryl and I, since we are married and we're in the same house all the time, we, we can be together over here as well. Uh, and uh, so we're at no risk, um, just praying that uh, we stay safe. And, and all of you as well. I, I, um, I'm looking forward to uh, having uh, the good doctor join us, as if you're just joining us, uh, coming up in just a little bit. Dr. Barbara Golder uh, is going to join us. She is um, a physician who was a member of the Catholic Medical Association, and she has agreed to come on and just talk about facts and myths, and, and uh, I'd be interested in her take on where we are now, there's a lot of new information coming out. We've seen uh, um, just statistics after statistics, <laughs> just uh, and you just don't you know you know what is truth, what is not truth. Uh, we're looking for for answers, I guess, basically, and that's part of the problem, I think, why people are reacting the way they are. And hearing the president today, he made one statement. Of course, he's not committing to anything, but he said he would love to have everything back up and running uh, by Easter Sunday and. Uh, true resurrection, right? But we'll, we'll keep put that in the Lord's hands, and uh, we'll even see what Dr. Um, Golder has to think about that. But anyway, let me play the bishop's message for you. This is a message from Bishop O'Connell uh, that he sent over to me today uh, regarding the um, the bill that was signed by uh, Governor Murphy uh, last night or yesterday afternoon uh, that has um, stated that states that there is to be no elective surgery or are to be no elective surgeries in the state at all for the remainder of this uh, 
crisis, with the exception of the termination of pregnancies. This is just a horrible, horrible thing um, for someone who considers himself to be a Catholic uh, to do this and say this. But you'll hear what the bishop has to say. I'm going to play that for you now, and then when we come back, uh, we'll be joined uh, by Dr. Golder. So, friends, there we are. Here's Bishop O'Connell with a very special special message regarding the uh, bill that was signed yesterday by Governor Murphy here in New Jersey. Crises bring out the best and worst in people and their decisions. We have seen so much of the best in the courageous sacrifice of our healthcare workers, first responders, and other essential personnel who are keeping us supplied with medicine, food, and so many other needs. Sadly, however, in the midst of good efforts to address COVID-19 pandemic, a glaring example of the worst judgment was demonstrated in the text of New Jersey Executive Order 109, where abortion was identified as a permissible elective surgery in New Jersey. The order states, and I quote in item four, nothing in this order shall be construed to limit access to the full range of family planning services and procedures, including termination of pregnancies, whether in a hospital, ambulatory surgery center, physician office, or other location. At a time when we are doing everything possible in New Jersey to protect people from COVID-19 and to preserve the health, well-being, and lives of people who have been exposed to coronavirus, to permit the simultaneous continued destruction of life in the womb just doesn't make any sense. It has never made sense, even in good pandemic-free times. Why are the full range of family planning services and procedures, including termination of pregnancies, placed in the protected category of permissive, per permissible elective services available in our state? The pro-choice lobby and its politics are too hard to resist, I guess, even for some leaders and politicians who identify themselves as Catholic. For the Catholic, regardless of occupation or political party, abortion and the Catholic faith are irreconcilable. That has been the clear teaching of the Catholic Church for centuries, and Roe v. Wade in 1973 has not altered that teaching even slightly. Every Catholic knows that, including elected officials. The elective termination of pregnancies is a death sentence, the death penalty for children in the womb, pandemic or not. New Jersey Executive Order 109 is another, and I emphasize another, of the ongoing efforts in our state at the highest levels to ignore or dismiss the sound moral reasoning that is the foundation of our support for human life from conception to natural death. In addition to the knowledge that children will be sacrificed in the womb in this time of COVID-19, the fact that Executive Order 109 
bears Catholic fingerprints, deeply saddens me as bishop. I would not want that on my conscience when I face the Creator. Well, thank you, Bishop O'Connell. Again, that's uh, Executive Order 109 that was signed into law uh, yesterday by Governor Murphy, who considers himself a Catholic, but uh, says that there are no elective surgeries permitted for the remainder of the crisis, with the exception of the termination of pregnancy. is a horrible, horrible thing. So thank you, Bishop, for sending that over to us. Uh, right now, friends, we want to welcome to the program uh, Dr. Barbara Golder. She's a doctor and a lawyer, and she has a certification in bioethics. She's practiced in hospitals and freestanding labs, as well as worked as a medical examiner. And she's currently editor-in-chief of Lynn Acre Quarterly, a journal of the Catholic Medical Association, and the longest continuously published journal of the Catholic bioethics of Catholic bioethics in the U.S. Uh, Dr. Golder, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. We're happy to have you. I don't know if you heard the, the didn't hear the entire message from Bishop, but. Uh, were you aware that here in New Jersey, the governor has uh, said no elective surgeries except for termination of pregnancies? Horrible thing. It's terrible. It's tragic. And I, I hope people understand the reason for canceling elective surgery. It's, it's um, in part to protect the physicians from exposure because if a physician or nurse in the operating room is exposed, um, then they have to be quarantined and they're out of commission and can't take care of sick people. So it's, it's a reasonable thing to do. It's not reasonable to accept uh, abortion. It just isn't. No, Harmon, and mm -hmm. the, our governor here, unfortunately, uh, considers himself to be a Catholic, so that's even worse. But as Bishop said, you know, I would want to stand before the judgment seat with that. Mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Golda, we're in a very, very um, unusual situation these past couple of months, a very surreal situation. I thank you for taking time out of your, what I'm sure is a busy schedule, to come and join us. Uh, and uh, just kind of talk a little bit about what's going on, because as, as I said earlier, uh, as we opened the program, there is so much information out there. People are being uh, filled with all kinds of, of statistics and, and uh, so, you know, source materials, social media, regular mainstream media. Uh, but we thought it'd be interesting to have you come on and just kind of go over some of these myths and facts and, and just what, 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 what's going on, what's happening, what your take is on where we're going with this, or um, uh, just in general as a, as a physician, you know, what your feelings are. So let's first start out initially um, with the uh, COVID-19 coronavirus. Um, what, is, what is the main issue with this? Is that it's, it's so contagious and that, because it, I look at statistics and, and look at symptoms from the CDC on, on comparing the flu to this, and a lot of the symptoms are very, very similar. So what's, what's the real big issue here then? Well, I think the big issue is a couple of things. First, it, it tends to be more serious than the flu. Now, mind you, it's perfectly possible to die of the ordinary flu, and every year thousands of people do. But this one seems to be a much more um, serious respiratory infection that has uh, a higher morbidity rate, that is to say people who get very sick get much sicker, and a higher mortality rate. Now, it's it's not as bad as Ebola or, or some of the other epidemic illnesses we've seen in other times and other places, but it's still significantly worse than the flu. Are you uh, it does have the same it does have the same symptoms, you know, fever, cough, um, feeling feeling overall bad, but when it when it becomes serious, it becomes much more serious. Mm -hmm. I guess that's that is the main issue and, and the most vulnerable we're understanding are those sixty five and older and especially those in that age group that have a particular uh, vulnerability regarding lung disease or heart disease. 
Um, but we're now seeing, too, you know, there was that a lot of publicity about the, the, the young people down at spring break in Florida thinking that they were immune to this whole thing. But that's not true, right? No, it's not true. They're not immune. Uh, they may have a less uh, a lesser likelihood of getting very seriously ill, but we have seen some deaths in young people, uh, especially, again, young people with underlying conditions. And young people can have chronic illnesses just like older people can. Uh, but they can get sick, and probably more importantly for, for the spread of the disease, they can contract it and may be very mildly ill or may not even realize they're ill at all. They go back into their home communities, and then they spread the virus for two weeks without even knowing it. So the, the real problem is the spread of disease that, that, they're, that they're courting with this behavior. So, again, we, a lot of the guidelines, basic guidelines right now, I, I, I'm not sure where, where you are in the, in the country, Doctor. Are you in the West, Midwest, East? Actually, I'm in, in Lookout Mountain, Tennessee. Oh, in Tennessee, um, okay. And we're we're not quite in the same situation that you are in New Jersey, but we've got a substantial problem in the state. Now, in my particular location, it's not as bad as it is in other places. Okay, but the basic guidelines are are, are reasonable, obviously. To to you know, especially here where we're told to stay at home, uh, social distancing. Uh, self-isolation, you know, good hygiene, washing your hands and hand sanitizer when available. Um, these are all, these, really, obviously, everybody, what, no matter what, what the extreme of the, the uh, virus is in any particular ge- geographic area, should be practiced by most people, right? Exactly. And there are things that we should probably practice during cold and flu season anyway. Um, limiting our contact with other people as much as possible when the flu is about. Um, makes sense just as it does now. But now it's it's even more important because this virus, in the way that it's behaving and the kinds of the kinds of serious complications that it's producing, threatens to overwhelm our healthcare system. And that's that's really the problem. That's the whole idea of flattening the curve. If we can slow the spread, we can make sure that the demand on our medical resources more closely matches the number of resources we have. If we don't do that, if it spreads exponentially very quickly, we can easily overwhelm our medical system. And that's what you, that's what you saw in Italy, that they, they had so many cases they didn't have the ability to care for them. Doctor, this is Cheryl, um, Jim's wife. And I, if I may ask you, what about people who think maybe they have had it? I have um, an email question on in that regard that... They think matching all these symptoms, and you know, we used to call it the uh, the eternal cough, and it was November, December, four to six weeks. People were just sick and so very, very exhausted and aches and pains. They said, "You know what? I think maybe I had that COVID nineteen before we even labeled it and before they were testing it." Number one, uh, is there any test? To prove that, yeah, you did have it. Or, and the other thing, more importantly, is are we no longer contagious? Well, let me take the second one first, if you don't mind. Okay, that's there comes good. a period of time, a period of time after the illness resolves itself, in which you're no longer contagious. Um, that period of time varies from individual to individual, but a, a couple of days to a week or so after, after the symptoms subside, uh, it appears that the virus quits shedding you know, in, in the mucus and what have you. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it becomes a, a point. If you had this, it's whatever you had. Back in November, you, you're not very likely not contagious now. Sure. Um, as to the first question, it, it would be a little bit tricky to, to diagnose it at, 
at this point because right now how we're, we're diagnosing it is the active uh, presence of viruses. And I, I have not thought to look to see whether we have an antibody test for it. Certainly that's possible. But I haven't thought to look to see whether it's out there or not. Mm. When what is the what would be the, the advantage if they did have an antibody test? Only to tell you that you'd had it. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, ev- eventually, when we get a vaccine, then we'll have this whole thing arranged so that you can have a vaccine. They'll be able to judge titers and see if you're immune because that's all part of the process of developing a vaccine. But right now, we're not in that phase. So right now, we're in the control the infection and, and try to control the spread of the disease and treat the people who are ill with it. So I'm not even sure that at this point there would be much benefit to finding out you, you did have it. Yeah. Certainly we've heard enough of these cases that there's some concern that probably was here earlier, but we can't really prove that. Right, right. So the we talk about we hear about the vaccine being a year, year and a half away, but right now just say that the, the, the big thing is to treat it. And there are some um, experimental treatments that they're trying, as I understand it, uh, and I forget the name of the drug, but the malaria drug that uh, they're combining mm-hmm. with. Can you talk a little bit about that? Have you read any statistics on that, how effective it may be or might be, or what exactly is that? Well, this is really in flux, and, and certainly Dr. Fauci, who's, who's the, you know, the one who gives the updates every evening on coronavirus, has, has his hand on all of this, probably can uh, look on the, the CDC website or the coronavirus up, update website and get uh, very specific information. But in general terms, there are two drugs, azithromycin and chloroquine, which is an old malarial drug, that seem to work well to help get help get people better from this infection faster. Um, there's one study. It's a pilot study. It was out of France. It was about 40 people. It was a very good study for what it was. It wasn't huge, but it was a good study. And that indicated that they had a very effective rate. And now we're beginning to see studies that say it will also help people get rid of the virus in their body so they don't shed for as long a period of time. Now, part of the problem is a lot of our information right now is anecdotal because people are people are trying to take care of this overwhelming number of people who are sick, and it's really difficult to put that information together in terms of you know, one systematic study, and, and certainly the FDA would have to be a part of, of any real study that way. But there's there's encouraging information out there that, that this combination of drugs may, in fact, work very well. And, and I'm very pleased to see that that the government and the, the FDA and, and various research places are coming together to look at that closely. And there are some other ones in the pipeline as well. So Whereas two weeks ago, it seemed like we wouldn't have anything to do to treat people except treat them symptomatically. Mm-hmm. Now it looks like we may actually have some interventions that may make a difference. And I think that should give us all a great deal of hope. Now, for people who think they, they might have it, doctor, you know, again, we're, we're in, we still are in a bit of cold and flu season here on the East Coast. Everything's in bloom now. Uh, people are, have seasonal allergies. Um, what is the process for what, are, what should people be looking for? Well, one of the one of the big things is that it does does produce a fever. So, a fever and a cough together should raise your concern about possibly being infected. But as you point out, you could also have the the flu, an ordinary cold, any of a number of viral illnesses. If, however, you do come down with a fever and a cough, it's prudent to call your 
your primary care doctor and ask what to do because every place is a little bit different in terms of where they are in the curve of taking care of patients. It's not a good idea just to show up in your doctor's office because if you are infected and infectious, um, that obviously presents a risk to everybody who's, who's in the waiting room and who's in the doctor's office. So they'll want to have a particular way of handling uh, the potential of infection, and they'll tell you how to do that. If, um, if you're seriously have lots of difficulty breathing, shortness of breath and difficulty breathing, chest pain, um, sometimes people can't be wakened from sleep or they're, they're groggy, you, you notice that they, they just look really sick then that's another situation that requires emergency care. But again, a call ahead mm-hmm. to just you know, to let the emergency room know that you're coming and, and what they may be dealing with will help care go better and help you get the care you need right away. Is there something, doctor, that people can do? I know, like, I do too much social media, and I'm checking in on Facebook and reading all the comments, and I see coming up over and over, I wish there was something I could do. There, there are people that are shut at home that are that are doers and they're very active. They want to be on the front lines, so to speak. You know, I want to go into the battleground. Um, Is there anything at all other than stay home and pray? I've seen people say, I'm not afraid. All grocery shop, you know, the elderly really want to stay home. They're, they're very vulnerable. They're very frightened. They don't, they're a little confused. I, myself, I would say, well, I'll go to the grocery for you then. Call me. Tell me what you want, and I'll bring it over. Is that something or that we should avoid that kind of thing? No, I think that's that's a very viable alternative and, and a great act of charity, quite frankly. Um, some parishes have actually developed programs where they match parishioners who need, for example, prescriptions picked up or groceries picked up with someone in the parish who will do that. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you do do that, it should be done in such a way as to maintain proper hygiene and proper social distancing. For example, if you're bringing home groceries, if the individual is not, in, not invalid, um, you can just leave the groceries on the front step rather than come face-to-face. If you have to come into the house, maintain six-feet distance, you know, carry a disinfecting spray and spray off counters and what have you after you're done, so that you can minimize any risk of transmission. But yes, that's a wonderful thing to do. Um, another thing I've seen on social media, like you, I, I check on a, a, a lot to mm. sort of see what's going on in the world. Um, homeschool parents are getting their kids to write notes and draw pictures, and they're sending them to nursing homes because those nursing home residents are now pretty much locked down. Nobody gets to come in and visit. They don't get to go out. Right. But the mail can still come in, so that's something that can be done. Um, in our area, I don't know if you have Joanne's Fabric in, yeah. in your area, but the fabric yes. store Joanne's around here has pre-cut masks for, you know, like for surgical masks. There's a real shortage of surgical masks, but if you make something out of a very fine cotton, it's at least better than nothing. And so they're they're making masks, make kits, and seamstresses can come and they will bring them out already pre-cut. The seamstress can, or or tailor, I suppose, can put it together, take it back to Joanne's, and they ship them off to places that need them. So there's lots you can do to help out. Now, what that interesting about masks? There too on social media, you see people showing you how to make your own mask. Mm. I would imagine there's a certain type of material you you have to be using in order to have an effective mask. Yeah, let's be very clear. The cotton masks that we're talking about are are not terribly effective, but they're better than nothing. And it's really kind of 
a tragedy that that healthcare workers particularly are, are being reduced in some places to using these, mm-hmm. and they, and that's been the result of people hoarding these things, you know, buying them up ahead of time and hoarding them. Um, I was at the grocery store the other day doing some shopping, and every other shopper had a, a mask on. Everybody's about six feet apart. The risk is relatively low, but the doctor who's taking care of patients in the emergency room really, really kind of needs that. So right. there's sort of been a, a mismatch in terms of what's actually available and where it's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, it's better than nothing. It's not great, but mm-hmm. it's better than nothing. And who should be wearing masks? We hear that too. You know, Don't wear them if you're well, only wear them if you're sick. Is there a, a norm for that? Are you going to hear differing opinions on this? Certainly if one is ill and symptomatic, coughing and, and you know, as a result, creating aerosols, that person should have a mask on as part of protecting the people around them. Uh, physicians and nurses and other healthcare workers who are dealing with patients and going in and out of patients in isolation and trying not to carry things from one room to another and not to get sick themselves, use the mask for that reason. Now, Whether or not you need it going to the grocery store, I think that's up for debate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, we're in, in the middle, I guess, now, or just a little past the middle of this 15-day period that the, the guidelines required, requested, I should say. Uh, we, uh, we, Cheryl and I, you know, we, we're home by ourselves. Our kids are all grown out of the house. We're here in the studio all by ourselves and don't have a lot of social contact, at, right. obviously. Um, we have our son and daughter-in-law and two little grandchildren, and they've self-isolated, and we miss them. <laughs> they only live an hour away, but we, we have to FaceTime a lot. But what's going to happen after this 15-day period? I mean, what, 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 what's the purpose? What's the main purpose of this? Well, the purpose of the 15-day period is to slow the growth of uh, infection, the, the spread of infection. So, again, you flatten that infectious curve so that we, have, we don't overwhelm our hospitals. Now, eventually, at, at some point, every epidemic sort of burns itself out, um, and things do get back to normal. I, there are all kinds of models that give you all kinds of dates of when this is going to happen and how this is going to happen, and it's a moving target, so nobody's really quite sure how it's going to work. The 15 days was originally thought to be a, a pretty reasonable idea in the sense that it takes up to two weeks for someone who's been exposed to develop symptoms. So if you were exposed on day one and by day 15, if you've really kept yourself isolated and you're not sick, then chances are you're not infected. Mm -hmm. The problem we have is we haven't really self-isolated. We're kind of semi-isolated because we're still going out to the grocery store, we're still going out to the gas station, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, So you never really are quite sure where you are on that 15-day curve. But that's the thinking behind it, and it certainly does a great deal of help in trying to slow the progression of the infection in the community. It's made a huge difference. Mm. At least that that was a good start. You know, maybe at day 15 it'll be, uh, certainly will be reevaluated and reissued maybe another directive. But that, too, state by state has changed. Like, for example, Michigan, they just said, look, it's really wise to stay home and close this place and that place. Uh, Other people have been way ahead of that curve. Um, Chicago, California, New Jersey, New York especially. Kansas, they've closed their schools. I think they're not going back at all this year. My daughter teaches in New York. They're saying maybe April 20th. So it, it does seem to be very, very fluid, even by region. 
I think that's true, and that some of that has to do with the rate of infection in the in the region. And in mm-hmm. some places, uh, it was it was quite a long time, all quite a long time, probably two weeks. But you know, in these days, that seems like a long time before right. West Virginia even got a case. Right. That they knew. Right. Uh, so in different places have a different disease burden, and it makes sense. I mean, and I think one of the tricks of this is that there's not a one size fits all mm-hmm. answer. Different communities are different. If you're living in a densely populated area like New York City um, or some of the cities in Italy or some of the cities in China, that's a different situation than where I am, where everybody's, you know, an acre away. Yes, right. You know, it's it's a very different situation, uh, both in terms of our our ability to be exposed and our ability to be isolated. So I think it makes sense. And I think it's actually kind of an illustration of why the principle of subsidiarity works. Um, the, the guy in New York doesn't really know what's going on in Lookout Mountain. Mm-hmm. And as a result, it makes more sense for us to do this as locally as we can. It's one of the reasons I get very frustrated with people saying the president should do this or the you know, government should do that. Well, to a certain extent, that's true. There's some coordination that has to go on nationwide, but much of this really has to be done at the local level. Right, it's and that's regional. why it's important to pay attention to what your local people are saying. Excellent. We're talking with Dr. Barbara Golder about, obviously, the current situation we find ourselves in. And friends, if you have any questions, uh, we're opening up our, our text line. You can text a question to me here. Uh, the number to text is area code 609 493 8255. That's 609 609- Four nine three eight two five five. If you want to text a question or two, uh, we'll be happy to take that and, and share it with the doctor. And uh, doctor, you mentioned statistics a little earlier, and I know uh, last week even I, I drove over, I drove, I drove, drove through Panera to get a sandwich for lunch, and uh, outside it was on the, near the campus of the College of New Jersey, and they had testing sites there. People were driving through and getting tested as well. Um, but as these tests are being done, more and more tests being done. We're seeing more and more confirmed cases, but the gap between death and those confirmed cases is is getting wider, though, too, right? The, the death rate is really dropping as test confirmed tests come in. Well, that, and that's to be expected. Some cases are what we call subclinical. In other words, they're not serious enough that whoever had whoever's sick thinks to even go to the doctor and be diagnosed. And so the really when you when something like this breaks on the scene, you, you see the worst cases first, and then you, you begin as you have testing available to see um, cases that are not so bad. So that's to be expected. And part of the problem we have now, of course, is that we have uh, an imbalance in terms of test need and tests available. And so in many places, particular places that are densely populated and have a higher burden of illness, they won't do the test unless you're pretty significantly ill, mm-hmm. and, uh, I, and they have a they have a, a questionnaire that you go through. Have you traveled? You know, what are your symptoms? Blah blah blah. All mm-hmm. these different things, so that they can use the tests in the most um, medically reasonable way. Now, if if we had plenty of tests, that would be different. But right now, we're not there. Right, I, and I heard the Surgeon General maybe two or three hours ago say that the death. The survival rate of this uh, virus is 98 to 99 percent. And as the tests, you know, I I guess to me, not that, of course, any any death is a a tragedy, but that is a a more hopeful sign, I think, than than we had maybe a week or two ago. Do you agree with that? 
It it is. It absolutely is, and uh, it's it's a reason to have hope. Now, the people who get really sick, um, you know, they're they're going to be really sick, and some of them are going to die, and and that's why we, we focus on that appropriately. But I think that understanding that many people get this and get a relatively mild illness ought to make us feel a little less anxious about something we have have a minimal amount of control over as it is. I and mean, we've done the things that we can do. We've self-isolated. We've kept social distance. We're practicing good hygiene. Beyond that, there's not a whole lot we can do. And so it should make us feel a little bit better that now that we're, we're beginning to diagnose some of these milder cases, we're understanding that that really it's it's not as as bad as we thought it was initially, although it's certainly bad enough given the number of people that are, are going to get seriously ill and the number of people that will, in fact, die. Mm-hmm. We received a question about, um, like, the U.S. mail and also takeout food, restaurant. Okay, the restaurants can do takeout food, but you drive up and, and that person brings you the bag and there was obviously a cook preparing it and somebody packaging it, and now it's in my hands. So either take out food, and of course we're trying to support our local businesses, and then the U.S. mail, like I quickly made up a box and mailed it to my daughter in New York with essentials. And then she goes, I'm afraid to open this. I'm afraid to touch this. Are, is, what's is that your... a reasonable thing? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I think that people have a different level of sensitivity to various risks. We just do. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why we have people who are race car drivers and people who are not, right? <laughs> um, so, so people people are willing to accept different levels of risk for themselves. And you'll you'll hear differing opinions on whether or not you should take out food and what you should do with your mail. Um, certainly, the the mail's been handled by a lot of people, and certainly the virus can, in fact, exist on surfaces for a long period of time. That said, if you open your mail. Wash your hands after you're done and disinfect the area that the mail's sitting on. It's probably just fine. Uh, and, and the same way with the package. You know, if you if you want to be really compulsive, uh, take some spray and spray off the outside of the package before you open it. But that risk, although I can't say it's zero, is, is not huge. The real risk for this particular virus is to be exposed individually, person to person, droplets in the air or personal contact, you know, getting it on your skin and from, from either aerosol or from touching someone else who, who has it on your skin and getting into your eyes or mucous membranes. That's the big root, mm-hmm. and that's why we practice social distancing. That's one of the reasons that we, we stay away from people and we're not hugging and, you know, and not hugging and kissing and that sort of thing because that's the real major thing. Um, as for takeout, it's kind of like the mail. Um, you, you sort of decide what level of risk you, you want to accept. Certainly there's there's a non-zero chance that there might be virus on the packaging or on the, the bag or what have you. But if you're sensible and you take the food and put it onto your own plates and eat it and wash your hands before and after you do so, I, I think that the risk is really very small. And you're right. We do need to help support these businesses that are really being affected by this. Yeah. You know, I was coming over here this morning, and um, it's a beautiful day here in, in uh, New Jersey and Pennsylvania today, and, and I saw more people out walking today in my neighbor's neighborhood. I thought, oh, my mm-hmm. goodness, I do have neighbors. <laughs> yes, <that's> <laughs> and children. There are children out playing. That's okay, right? There's nothing wrong with going out in the air. is not going to hurt you, right? No, no, going out in the air is not going to hurt you. Again, keep the, the, the social distance of, of six feet. Now, one of the real 
tricky things is little kids have a tendency to to run up to whoever's around right. um, or to or to have play dates you know run on the playground and play with other kids that's that's still something that probably should be discouraged simply on the basis of social distancing and that's a hard one that really right. is especially Children. when kids have been cooped up yeah and in many areas um, and again I'm watching the news and I see that the playgrounds are closed. You know, they're just trying to cover what's happening in the region, and uh, many of the playgrounds are, are shut right now because that could be a breeding ground. And, of course, kids want to play. There was a cute little story. Of, uh, somebody asked a 6-year-old, wow, you've been home. There's no school. And his answer, they asked why. His answer was because the school is out of toilet paper. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was great. I saw that, too. Yeah, My and, own personal favorite is some, some um, bakery up in the Northeast, I can't remember the name, has created a toilet paper case. Oh, oh. fabulous, fabulous. It's cute. I mean, we have to try to, to keep a little sense of humor. Laughter is good for us, for good for our body and our breathing. Um, we're, I think we're going to get through this, and on the other side, we're, hopefully many, many people will live to tell the tale. It's going to go down in history. We'll tell the stories, and we could laugh about certain things later. But right now, you know, we just have to be— listening to the authorities both on the government level and the local level to keep everybody safe. I, I think that's wise. And I, and I do think a sense of humor is important. Um, one of my friends was sort of casting his eye over the landscape and he says, that's kind of the American response to things. And if you look on the social media, there's some absolutely hilarious. <laughs> I know. Today there was a guy who had taken a, an Oreo cookie apart and carved like a cameo face on the on the frosting, <laughs> <laughs> like day five of, of quarantine. Right, that's had, right. Had crocheted a rich crack. I mean, it, it, people are really doing some fun things yeah. to keep people's spirits up. Right. And I think that's important too. And what about you know we're getting close to the end of the program, but what about the the, the this being being self isolated? Now, Cheryl and I, we're married thirty six years. We're happy with each other. It's just the two of us. All the time. <laughs> I, but I do give him, I bring him his dinner out in the shed, though. I'm being pretty careful. <laughs> People can get a little, get a little, a little, yeah. um, punchy. Yeah. I mean, how, how should we be dealing with this? And I, now, our, we talked to our, we te- or texted our, our t- son, texted us. He has two little ones a year and three years. And he's, they're hanging in there, but it's not always, not always easy, especially with ones, little children like that. No, there's not. And there are a lot of resources. And again, social media is a good way of getting these things out there places that have opened up uh, virtual tours, and there's all kinds of streaming content now that's available and free. Audible has put some things on for audiobooks, all kinds of, of uh, diversions, especially if the weather's not good. Where I am, we've had rain for weeks and weeks and weeks, so even going outside has been a little tough. Yeah. Um, so there's all kinds of stuff out there for people to use as a way to, to keep themselves entertained. But I would throw something else out. Um, it's fine to be socially isolated in a good, stable, and happy family. Let's keep in prayer the people, especially the small, the children, who are in situations where they where they're not in a good, stable, happy family, where they mm-hmm. may be with an abusive family. We need to keep them in prayer too, because because they're under the same circumstances. Amen. That's so true, That's Doctor. True. Uh, doctor, before we let you go, what what is your feeling on where we're going to go from here? What what deep down? I mean, spiritually. Medically, where, where do you think this is all going to get back to normal, if it ever will? Mm-hmm. Well, medically, we will get through it. Uh, eventually, we'll have a, a good treatment regimen. Eventually, we'll have a vaccine, um, and, and we'll, we'll have that on the shelf and be able to deal with it in the future. I think we've learned some lessons. 
about how we're connected with each other in ways that we didn't expect, uh, both personally and professionally. We're learning how interdependent we are, and I think that's good. I think we're learning that it's probably not as good as we thought it was to be dependent on foreign sources for everything, mm. uh, for drugs and for parts and things like that. I think that there will be some lessons coming out of that. Um, what I would hope is that we have learned how to slow down and appreciate each other mm. and appreciate ourselves, because I think that's what um, this sort of forced isolation can do, because you have time. You have time to sit and think and talk and play board games and go through scrapbooks and all of these things that we push aside because we're so busy. And maybe we will go back to a life that isn't quite so busy. I think that would be good. I think we're maybe reevaluating and reprioritizing what's truly important. You know, do we need all the, the material things or is it relational? You know, that things that we value and treasure, our list might change, you know, what's truly important. And as you say, when we go back to life as normal as it can be, that our values, value system has readjusted for the better, for the good of all. I think so, and I, I think that relational piece is is absolutely essential, and we're discovering that. We're discovering, um, you know, how how we are connected to each other and, and why we're connected to each other, and I think that makes us better people. Mm-hmm. Doctor, again, we want to thank you for being here, and I mentioned, listeners, that Dr. Barbara Golder is a member of the uh, Catholic Medical Association. Doctor, real briefly, could you just share with our listeners what is the Catholic Medical Association, make them more aware of it? Yeah, the Catholic Medical Association is pretty much what it sounds like, an association of Catholic physicians and other health care workers um, that are dedicated to helping promote Catholic medicine in, in, in the marketplace, in the health care world. And as you might imagine, sometimes that's a little difficult. But mm-hmm. the message of the Catholic Medical Association is that Catholic medicine is good medicine. It's medicine that patients are entitled to. So they do have a website. It's CathMed, C-A-T-H-M-E-D dot org. You can go on there. There's all kinds of interesting material available on the website. And they actually have a category of membership for people who are friends of the Catholic Medical Association. So if you find that um, this is something that, that you'd like to support, that you'd like to help us bring the cause of Catholic medicine to medical schools, to doctors, to hospitals, to nurses, to all to patients, um, you can do that through through a, a friendship mem- membership of the CMA. Wonderful. That's wonderful. That's great. Doctor, thank you so much for shedding a lot of light and a lot of hope, I, I think, on this whole yeah. situation. Yeah, we appreciate well, it, Well, thank you very much. God bless you. Thank uh, you for being with us today. God and, bless. Thank you for asking me. All okay, right. take care Bye-bye now. now. <laughs> Good night. Good night. Bye. All right, that was Dr. Barbara Golder, and she's, uh, as you heard, a member of the Catholic Medical Association. It's good to hear from you know, a lot of questions about things that's going that are going on. I heard, I was sharing with the listeners, I don't know if you heard on the way over, but I, the, I heard the president earlier today said he would like to see this whole thing over by Easter Sunday. Uh, what a resurrection that would be. I don't know if that's going to happen. He didn't commit yeah. to anything. Well, but, from his mouth to God's yeah, ears, but you know. maybe, you know, maybe. And we're going to pray. We're going to pray with the Pope. We're going to pray with each other. And that is going to be a huge element. You don't hear right. a lot about that on the secular no, media. No, no. And again, uh, friends, don't forget, now, tomorrow... At 7 a.m., Holy Father, Pope Francis, it'll be uh, um, noon in Rome, uh, he's going to, at St. Peter's, pray the Our Father. He has invited the world, Christians of all traditions, not just Catholics, to come together by media in any way you can or just stop what you're doing at at, at 7 o'clock our time here on the East Coast and pray the Our Father. 
And imagine all those prayers being raised at the same time to our Heavenly Father. Of course, the prayers being prayed to end this coronavirus crisis and situation that we see in our world. So that's 7 a.m. tomorrow. Just pray the Our Father. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as, as we shared with you, we add the Mass. Now we have it on 8 a.m., noon, and again at 7 p.m. at night. The rosary has been increased. We, we have the rosary prayed at 5.30, 9.30 a.m. Now on most days, 3.30 p.m., as well as 9.30 uh, at night, and the Divine Mercy Chaplet at 5 a.m. and 3 p.m. Um, we will be increasing some of that, I think, as the network now. They're going to add more. Uh, but also, this coming Friday, which is uh, March 27th, which will mark the fourth anniversary of Mother Angelica's passing, mm. uh, and Holy Father, again, is going to do something very special uh, in Rome. And I just, as I said, I got word earlier from EWTN that it's going to be 3.30 our time. Initially, it was supposed to be 1 o'clock. I got to double check on that. But So we'll clarify that. Clarify that. But at three right now, at 3.30 Eastern time, which will be 8.30 Rome time, Holy Father Pope Francis is going to go into an empty St. Peter's Square. No one's there, obviously, but him. Oh. And I believe he's going to expose the Blessed Sacrament or have a Eucharistic procession himself, bringing the Blessed Sacrament into the square. Uh, there'll be some scripture. But he's going to make basically a holy hour, and he invites the entire world to join him by the various media that are out there. Uh, We'll be broadcasting it here. I'm sure EWTN will have it on uh, TV and uh, other other means that you'll have uh, be able to participate. But he's going to give a very special Urbi et Orbi blessing to the city and to the world, and it's a blessing that usually is reserved for Easter and Christmas. But again, given the current situation, he's going to give the Urbi a special Urbi et Orbi blessing. Uh, on Friday. And um, with that will come, if you f- meet the other criteria, uh, plenary indulgence. Right. So again, it's, you know, this is a very serious situation. And a lot of, we, you know, we, we laugh about a lot of things mm. uh, at home about, you know, some, we see some of these things on Facebook. And, but I think that's our coping method. You that's know, just like, us. We just <laughs> laugh. We, we <laughs> kind of laugh at everything. <laughs> laugh, no, but laugh it, off it life. is serious, but, um, you know, try to Try to maintain some peace and calm, like the bishop said, to right. remain calm. Right. And it is, you know, it, and hopefully, as I said, I, I was, this morning when I woke up, I, I put on the news and, and I saw the, 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 I had Fox on and they have that, those, those numbers. Numbers scrolling, lots of, I know. Lots of numbers. I and I think there was close to 600 deaths in the U.S. And that is a tragedy, 600 deaths compared to, I think, 40 some thousand confirmed cases. And that's. About 1.2% of the cases result in death. And again, any any single death is a tragedy. But those numbers are not too far removed from a- any other illness, mm-hmm. uh, especially the flu. I think flu is even higher as far as what the death What if they rate reported, goes. and I know we're almost out of time, and this is my mind, just go, it's just constantly going, but what if they reported every day the number of um, fatal car accidents across the U.S. or, or people that passed from cancer or from well, that's, other I, illnesses. I shared or, that with you the, last week. I, there, and I, I didn't you know you can Google these numbers. And in the in the U.S., every day, every day, 1,600 people die from cancer. Yeah. Every day. Now, that's not a contagious disease and it's not a, a pandemic. Right. But if but, you're talking numbers. But again, you look at, and the, you heard the doctor, the very serious, very contagious disease, uh, virus, um, and there are people who are extremely vulnerable to it. Uh, I know, and I know you. we've talked about it, but I, I, I still swear you had it. Um, but I said that to someone 
And it was Father Jim Grogan I was talking to this morning on the phone. Mm-hmm. And I, I said that very same thing. I said, I think Cheryl had it. She said, well, if she had it, you had it. Because we couldn't have lived in the same house for three weeks without right. getting it. Right, right. But I didn't have anything. Right. And, well, um, you have a, a solid rock immune system, though. Well, let, let your mouth do God's ears. We'll <laughs> keep that in prayer. But uh, that's the situation. Some people are very asymptomatic. What are they called? Mm-hmm. Asymptomatic, right. and and uh, don't show any symptoms. You know, they right. they they're already have whatever reason their body has been able to fight it off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to say that you know you can't be a carrier. I mean, that's the danger. If you are asymptomatic, you're carrying it and not realizing and could it. Could give it to somebody, give it to somebody else, else right. who would be very much affected by it. So. Bottom line is you're going to pray this away. Tomorrow morning, 7 o'clock, the Our Father prayed around the world. You're invited to join. Uh, we probably should record it and put it on here for 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. Yes, absolutely. Let's put it part and of the You know, schedule. I'm just going to say kudos to those pastors because there are some of those people that are shut in and they're alone. You know, and you, you know that can't be easy for those who mm. want to shepherd. And many people, they are saying Mass and they're live streaming the Mass, but they are doing everything they can to still pastor to their people and minister to their people, so much so, even our son Anthony, he goes to the church and he's providing music. I mm-hmm. mean, music is such a consoling therapeutic. And so thank you to those pastors who are keeping those music ministers on because as they're saying mass, okay, father's down at the altar. My son is 100, 200 feet away up in the, lo- in the loft, but he's providing the music. So tap into some of your local parishes and see mm-hmm. how many pastors are making use of their musicians. Right. God bless them. Yeah, And friends, don't forget us, please. We ask you, please, to support us in any way you can. I know times are tough for some people who have been laid off, lost their jobs, uh, or are worried about that. But please, don't forget... We can't do any of this without you. We're completely listener-supported. We're hearing about the the uh, package that the government is passing, and we're not going to be a recipient of that. So um, we need you to help us in any way you can. Make an online donation, my friends. I don't know why this... Did you hear that? Yeah. This happens every... I guess I have to, have to ask like Nick. Like a remix version. Yeah, it's like the <laughs> remix version. The record skipping. Uh, okay. So anyway, go to our, our, our homepage, domesticchurchmedia.org. Make an online donation of any amount you can. We really would appreciate it. Have a great rest of your day. God bless you and God love you. Thank you. Trust in me.